Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you have a Bible, come and meet me in Luke chapter 10. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1041 in that Bible, Luke chapter 10. Uh, We'll be starting at verse 38, and we are just about done our series that we've called Authentic. We'll be wrapping this up next week. Uh, We'll get into some other stuff in the month of April, but we called the series Authentic, Becoming Who We Really Are, and talking about how do we become that person that God originally designed us to be? What is our identity in Him, and how do we uh, walk in that truth and know who we're supposed to be and know who He made us to be? How do we live out that more and more? And as we're doing that, we are constantly confronting what Christian psychologists have called the false self. The false self is the person that we put on in order to get by in life. That we were created by God in purity and with purpose, but because of our sin and because we've been hurt by life and because of our shame and because of our pain, we carry all these things. And so we put somebody on and it's the person we project to the world to keep people away from what's really going on inside of us. It is our insecure side of ourselves. It is the selfish side of ourselves. It is at times the sin side of ourselves and we're wanting to learn more and more how do we stop living out of this guy and how do we start living out of the truth of who God says that we are and finding our identity in him so we've been talking about living authentically in lots of different ways Uh, and one of the ways we'll talk about today is that there's a lot of things in life that pull us away uh, from Jesus that pull us away from our, our walk with him there's a lot of things to distract there's a lot of things that take our attention that take our time that take our energy and we can't really live authentically if we're being pulled away by all these things in an unhealthy way and so I'm going to show you a clip as we get ready to get going today it's from the 2005 movie Kicking and Screaming which was not a classic but uh, Will Ferrell movie and in this clip uh, I think all you need to know is his character is head over heels in love with coffee and is coming into the coffee coffee shop to get his daily fix. Take a look. So we've all probably got some things in our lives that are driving the bus a little more than we realize. And as we talk about living authentically today, we're going to talk about how do we detach from some of those things that are not good, that are pulling us away from Jesus and pulling us away from our walk with him. So let's take a look at our text today. We are in Luke chapter 10, page 1041 in the Pew Bible, and we're starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So you may have heard a sermon on this before. I have preached on that before here, I think, at Meadowbrook. And uh, the thrust of that message usually is a question along the lines of, are you a Martha or a Mary? And the concern usually is, are you so busy doing stuff for the Lord that you're missing out on what Mary did, which was just spending time with the Lord and learning from the Lord? Uh, Are you so busy serving and being busy and active that you're missing out on connecting with him and spending time in the Bible, uh, basically neglecting your devotional life is usually the application. And that is where we are going today. We're going to come at it from a bit of a different angle. And as we're thinking about just, okay, so what are those things in my life. 
that, that have a prominent place that is maybe in an unhealthy way? What are the things in my life uh, that are getting in the way of my walk with Jesus or drawing me away from him? Uh, I'm going to introduce you to a word. It's in your booklet, the definition, uh, a phrase, sorry, uh, inordinate attachments. And it comes to us from St. Ignatius. And when Ignatius came up with this term, he's talking about anything that takes the place of Jesus in our lives, anything that pulls us away from him, anything that distracts us from our communion with him or our Christian duty and how we should be living out of our lives, these inordinate attachments, the things that our, our mind, our heart, our soul can get attached to in an unhealthy way. And so when Ignatius was talking about this, uh, he was talking about it often in terms of prayer and discernment and that if, we're, if our soul is attached to things that aren't good, uh, that can really affect our discernment in a negative way. That can get in the way of our prayer lives and affect our walk with him. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this idea approached in a different way, and we would use the term idols when we approach it in that way. What are the idols in my life? And for us in our culture, it's probably not going to be the literal statues that we kneel before and pray to, but Israel had this bad habit throughout its history of walking with the Lord, but then if another god came along who was represented in the statue, they'd go running to that god, and then they go running to another god, and then they go running to another god, then they'd repent and come back to the Lord, but then they go to another god again. And when God talked to Israel about that, he likened it to, it's like you're cheating on your spouse. It's like you're committing adultery, because all that love and affection and worship is supposed to be coming to me, but you guys are giving it away to lots of different places. And again, literal idols or literal other gods probably aren't going to be our problem so much, but there's a lot of things that can take a prominent place in our life that ultimately only belongs to Jesus. There's a lot of things that we can give our heart to, that we can give our time to, that we can give our affection to that can affect that. And so I'm going to walk through a list of some. It's by no means all of them, but I imagine most of us will probably be able to see ourselves on this list a little bit. So here's the types of things we are talking about when we're talking about inordinate attachments. I'll touch on them very briefly. So first of all, our sins. Our, all of our sin by nature is pulling us away from God. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, that our sin is there uh, because the temptation of it is it does offer us something. Now, what it offers us isn't lasting, what it offers us isn't good, but if sin didn't offer us something, it would never be tempting ever. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to say, I don't want that. But it does offer some pleasure, it does offer some relief, it does offer us sometimes some purpose or some identification or some uh, sense of identity. And so anything that we're doing that is sinful, we've talked in this series about we all need to be taking a real good look at where is the sin in my life and what am I doing to pursue the path of holiness instead. Uh, money can be a problem, doesn't need to be a problem. Scripture doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. But uh, money is what Jesus called the other master. Uh, it can so easily take over. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to those of us who have lots of money. Sometimes I think about, you know, when I had the least amount of money in my life, man, did money have my attention back then. It was all I thought about. It was just constantly on my mind. I was constantly driving towards it. So it's not necessarily just about whether we have it or not. It's about what's the place that it's sitting in, in our heart, in our thoughts, in our devotion. Uh, sex or lust, we believe in the traditional uh, biblical view on this, that sex is something that God has ordained to be expressed only in the safety and the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, anything beyond that falls short, we believe, of what Scripture says. And so that can be something that we are looking to for fulfillment. It's something that we're looking to uh, to make us feel better or to make us feel like a man or feel like a woman. Uh, and with that, lust is right there because Jesus said, yeah, it's not just literally about uh, did you commit an act 
act that you shouldn't have according to Scripture. Jesus said, even in your thought life, right? Even in your thought life, you're to pursue purity. Uh, so anytime where we're moving into fantasy or pornography or whatever, uh, even if we're not crossing the technical line of adultery, uh, Scripture talks about our, our standard is high. But we can look to that uh, to make us feel better or to, to get us through uh, instead of looking to Jesus for the peace that he can give, for the relief that he can give. Sometimes it's power and position. We're looking for title. We're looking to be the, the top of the pyramid. We're looking for authority or influence. Sometimes it can be the praise of others, right? We can run after uh, what others say about us and live our lives geared that way because that gives us a sense of well-being that we lean on to get through our lives instead of leaning on the Lord. It can be our material possessions, certainly. It can be work. Work is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. We have to do it. But if my life is driven by my work and work is taking all of my time so that I don't ever have time to open my Bible or pray or come to church, then that's where it starts to become problematic. Food can be a problem. I've talked in previous weeks of how it's always been a struggle for me personally, and, and some of you have shared that's been your struggle as well, where when life is stressful, it's really easy to turn to that, to kind of take the edge off of that. It's not the healthiest thing, but it is something that is very easy to do. Alcohol is similar. Substances, by that I mean cigarettes, drugs, those types of things, like anything where we're saying, you know what, for my uh, peace of mind, for me to just get by, I'm going to look to these things. These are That's when it's starting to become idol-like in our lives, where it's becoming elevated. Even coffee or caffeine, we saw that uh, in the clip, obviously, kind of as a joke, but uh, coffee's not a problem at all in itself. It can be a wonderful thing, but if you're at the point, and I have these conversations regularly enough, where it's like, I can't get out of bed without my coffee, I can't get through the afternoon without a coffee. One person said to me, I'm not a human being until I've had my coffee in the morning. That might be moving into the point where it's a problem. That might be in the point of like, oh, this is a major crutch I'm leaning on in my life. And if it's literally, I can't be myself if I don't engage with this, then that's probably elevating coffee to a bit of an unhealthy place. Our relationships, which again, are good and godly and necessary, but uh, if they are taking all of my time and all of my affection is going there, and if all of uh, the, the ways I'm trying to deal with life is only through my human relationships and Jesus is not a part of that, that, then they can be a problem as well. Even our intellect and our emotion, and then this is a bit more nuanced because these are God-given things to us. We were created with a brain, we were created with a heart. But if I am using my brain and leaning entirely on my brain and my whole focus is on learning and knowledge and expansion, like I know enough people, uh, as I've been in school for a long time, that uh, brilliant professors, brilliant theologians, brilliant uh, fellow students who actually don't look very much like Jesus and don't really have an amazing walk with him uh, because scripture says knowledge puffs up like knowledge on its own doesn't actually help us if it's not serving us in our walk with Jesus on the other side of that we all have emotion emotion is good and godly but if our emotions are, are a bit broken or hurting or out of whack then our emotions can drive the bus of our lives in a really unhealthy way too at the same time uh, so too much intellect without focusing on the heart is a problem too much heart without focusing on the mind can be a problem as well sometimes it's just our busyness and it's especially, uh, and maybe even including busyness for the Lord, right? This was part of Martha's problem in our text. 
is that she's being very, very busy. And she was so busy that she was missing out on Jesus, who was right there in the room with her. So sometimes we can get our sense of identity and purpose and well-being. Look how indispensable I am. Look at all the things I've done. Look at how busy I am. Sometimes when I'm at meetings with pastors, I remember one in particular at a previous church, a bunch of pastors in town got together. And it wasn't purposely this, but as everyone was catching each other up on their ministry, it was almost like perversely like it was a competition over who had seen their kids less in the last few months. Because it was just, we got this outreach program, we got this and we got that, and, and I haven't been home in four nights. Oh yeah, well I've got this and this and this going on, and I haven't seen my kids in five nights. And it was almost like, well look what we're all sacrificing for the Lord. Isn't it hard to be in ministry? And I remember I was younger then, but even then just feeling like, this is really unhealthy. Uh, especially if the leaders of the church are the ones who are setting this tone. So sometimes it's our ambition. Ambition can be a really good thing. If I'm saying, you know what, I want to be the best Christ follower I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the best father I can be. I want to grow in my gifts. I want to grow in uh, my intimacy with the Lord and my prayer life. Like ambition can drive us to a really healthy place. Ambition, as history across the globe has proven, can also be very unhealthy uh, if we are trying to accomplish things just for the sake of ourselves. Even our giftings, our spiritual gifts, which are given to us by God, we can overemphasize. And if all my time is just going into my gift and using my gift to the sacrifice of my actual walk with God or relationship with him, then that's a problem. Our hobbies are important. We all need a way to relax, blow off steam. Same with TV and movies, social media, our smartphone. Uh, those are all not bad things in themselves, but if I am turning to them to distract me from the, the pain of my life or, or to get that sense of peace or to just be so busy that I don't have time to pick up my Bible, that's when these things start to become problematic. It's a pretty good exercise to say how much of your time are you giving to multimedia things versus how much time are you picking up your Bible in your life? What do those numbers look like when you put them? If you put them on a scale, would one go way up over the other? Are they balanced pretty good? Are they way out of whack? Even things like exercise, which are important and healthy and life-giving, can become obsession. Uh, and again, it's only a problem if it's getting in the way of life, if it's getting in the way of our walk with, Lord, say, with the Lord. Same with something like sports, which is a wonderful way to pass the time and be part of a community and, and have something to help us unwind. But again, how is it comparing to your walk with Jesus in your life in terms of what is getting your time and your attention? So there are things up here uh, that are, are not bad things at all. Uh, and I'm not talking about the sinful stuff, all right? Sin is bad. Say it with me. Sin is bad. Always bad. And so just to be super controversial, we never are okay with sin in this church, all right? So when I talk about this today, I'm never talking about sin being a good thing. Anything up here that's sinful needs to go. Anything up here that's illegal needs to go. But there are other things there that are not bad things. They are actually good things. There are some things up here like work and food and exercise that are actually necessary things. We actually can't really live that well without them. But the matter, the, the heart of the matter is where do these things fit in the bigger picture? of our lives? Where do they fit as priorities in our lives? Where do they fit in terms of how they affect our relationship with Jesus? And where are we finding these things set as we look at these things? So as we're trying to kind of weigh this all out of, so what do these different things mean to me? There's a few questions that the Ignatians would ask to help us sort through it. So first question is, am I looking to any of these things instead of the Lord for any reason? 
Am I looking to any of these things instead of the Lord again for that sense of well-being, that sense of purpose, that sense of being myself, that sense of uh, just feeling at peace or feeling joy? Is there anything that I should be looking to him for that I'm looking to these created things for? And if it is, that's just something for us to circle and take a note of. Am I using these things in excess of my legitimate needs? So we legitimately need food, we legitimately need work, we legitimately need money. Uh, there are things on there that we legitimately need, but am I going well beyond what I legitimately need? We need to eat to live, am I going beyond that? And if I am, then maybe food is taking a place in my life that is starting to become unhealthy. We need money, of course, but if I'm driven by I need to have more and more and more and more and more, then money's becoming an unhealthy thing in our lives. Do I use these things for the purpose for which they were intended? Uh, something like a, a smartphone, which is so easy to just you know, sweep through life, just being distracted by, right? It's so easy. I can get on my phone sometimes and just, oh, I'm going to look up one thing, and then you go, oh, wow, 90 minutes just went by. I didn't even realize how quickly that went by. And it's just so easy to get caught up in it. You just go in to check in on Facebook and see how things are going, and then you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and you've watched 87 videos, and you're having conversations with people, and it's very easy for it to take over. So did I use these things for the purpose for which they are intended? Our phone is an amazing, wonderful tool. And I engage with scripture on my phone, and I engage with the, the theology uh, of different people on my phone, and I stay connected to people on my phone, and I've got this amazing tool that I can look things up quickly, and then I have all my music there and my worship music. Like, it's an amazing tool, but it's also a tremendous distraction if I'm not careful. And, and it gets difficult if I'm relating to everyone in my life just through a screen and not through anything else. So am I using these things? It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Am I sort of finding that balance? And then last question, do I make these things ends in themselves rather than as means to an end? So am I, am I focusing on these things as the whole thing or are they just all just kind of tools and helpful things to help me fulfill my main goal, which ultimately is to draw closer to Jesus. And so if I'm going to use my spiritual gift and say I have a teaching gift or a worship gift or a serving gift or a finance gift or whatever my gift is, am I using that gift to ultimately draw closer to Jesus and draw others closer to Jesus? Or am I just using this gift and emphasizing the gift and spending all my time developing this gift as the gift itself? Uh, has it taken over in terms of what's really important? So there's a few questions. There are others as well that'll help us sort through this stuff, but let's bring this back into our text today. So in verse 38, 39, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So we uh, meet Martha and Mary a couple of times other than this in scripture uh, in John's gospel, and we don't hear a ton about them in Luke's gospel, but in John's gospel we learn that they also have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus is the one who died, who Jesus rose from the dead. We also learn in John's gospel that Mary is the one who comes to Jesus with perfume and a anoints his feet with perfume and, and cleans his feet with her hair. Uh, so that's Mary's story. So there is something about this family that Jesus had a good connection to them. There was something, uh, there was an intimacy there. And when he's traveling through the area, it just seems like, okay, we've got a house here. You're going to stay with us, obviously. And so as they come in, Jesus is teaching and he is sharing with his disciples. Martha is getting dinner ready. And in that last sentence there, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. It's very easy for us to kind of skip over this. It's very easy for us to uh, just kind of make that part of the story, especially if we're familiar with it. But that's actually a really big deal 
that sentence, especially for anyone 2,000 years ago who was reading this for the first time. Anyone reading it would say, oh, wow, that's not what women did with a, a teacher, with a rabbi. Women didn't sit at the feet of a rabbi to learn. That was something only men were allowed to do. Women were supposed to be with Martha in the kitchen getting the food ready. That was a woman's job. Uh, so culturally, there is something unusual happening here. And you know, different streams of the church look at the role of women in the church in different ways. We can have a lot of patience and grace as we have that discussion. It is a disputable matter. But what shouldn't be controversial uh, is that Jesus changes the game for women in lots of ways including a passage like this. Mary is doing something that women have never done before. And so she is taking the posture of a disciple, an actual active disciple, sitting at the feet of Jesus, who is doing the teaching. And it's been speculated. It's not in the text, but it has been speculated. That's maybe one of the reasons Martha's kind of ticked off in this story, because Mary's not where she's supposed to be culturally. She's supposed to be in the kitchen culturally, and she's doing something she's not really supposed to be doing. And so that's, again, that's, that's conjecture. Uh, but it makes sense, understanding the culture of the time, that Mary is doing what she's not really supposed to be doing culturally, but Jesus is encouraging it, and Jesus is allowing it. Verse 40, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Uh, and that's not really unfair, right? Like, it's, it's easy to make, well, Mar Mary's doing the right thing, and Martha's kind of the, you know, the, the one who's off on this, but that's really not an unfair question. Someone has to make dinner, and dinner is not a sinful thing to do, so Martha's doing what she feels like she's supposed to be doing. It's a good thing to be doing. She's doing it out of her service to the Lord. She has opened her home. She said, come on in, and we will make dinner. So it's not that it's totally off what she's saying. Uh, she's saying, I'm, I'm on my own here. It would be great to have some help. And Mary's job as sister is supposed to be part of this. You're supposed to come, and you're supposed to be helping me along. But really, the most important part of this verse is in the first few words, Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted. And the Greek word for distracted there is perius pato, which literally means to draw away. And that really is where the problem is in this text, is that Jesus was in the room. Jesus was right there, right? Like, like Martha had what all of us probably wish we had. Jesus is in your house, and he's teaching, and there's an opportunity to sit there and learn from his teaching. There's an opportunity to hear the living word of God explain and unpack the word of God for you in real time, face to face. Like, who that's a follower of Jesus would not want that, right? Jesus in your living room explaining the ways of God to you face to face. That was the opportunity that Martha had, but she was perius patoed. She was drawn away. She was drawn away. Jesus was there, and she was drawn away from him. There was an opportunity to learn and grow, but she was drawn away from that. And she was not drawn away, again, by unreasonable things, but she was drawn away. And that's the heart of inordinate attachments that we want to be aware of. Not everything on this list is necessarily a bad thing in itself, but the real question is, where are these things drawing me away from Jesus? Where are they drawing me away from my connection with him? Where are they drawing me away from my Bible? Where are they drawing me away from my coming together in community and coming to church? Where are they drawing me away? Because where things are drawing us away from Jesus, that's where they become problematic. 
That's where they become difficult, when we are periaspatoed by whatever it is that is pulling us in a direction that takes us away from Jesus. So again, to look at this list and say, all right, uh, what on here has my time? It's not that hard to figure out where the idols are. What has my time? What has my energy? What has my thoughts, right? Even when I'm not at work, am I still nonstop thinking about work? Uh, even when I'm not eating, am I nonstop thinking about food? What has my thoughts? What has my affection? What is pulling my time, my energy, my heart away from the things of God, from connecting with him, from prayer, from the Bible, from fellowship, from serving? What is pulling me away from my walk with him? Another good question to ask is, what up here would be really hard for me to give up? And if there's something on here where you say, I could never give that up, then that's probably a ding, ding, ding. Like That's a highlight. That's a problem. Because there should be nothing, really, that we can't give up if the Lord were to ask us to or if we were to feel like it was getting in the way. Uh, one of the, the frustrating seasons of my time in ministry at a previous church was we were, did a little mini-series on technology and just how do we find a good balance of technology. And so we declared as a leadership a 30-day fast from, from the extra technology, like the internet, like our phones, like our social media, TV, and movies. And we said, you know what, for 30 days, just 30 days, let's shut down our Facebook, let's, let's turn off our email, let's shut off our phones, let's leave our TV off, uh, and not just for the sake of it, but let's add some prayer time and add some Bible time. And if we're going to connect with people or we need to talk to people, I think we did say you could talk on the phone, which is also technology. But the heart of it was, let's like connect person to person and not screen to screen. Like Let's actually hear a human voice or preferably see someone face to face. And so we shut it all down for 30 days. Uh, I shut everything down. I had a great time. It was amazing. It was very eye-opening. You don't realize how much you lean on these things until they're gone. But by the end of it, it's like, I don't really miss email, to be honest. I don't really miss Facebook. I don't, I don't miss these things. Um, and as it came to an end, it was like, all right, church, we're going to kind of turn everything back up again. And so I did turn on my Facebook again. And it was like, oh, wow, for the last, like, 25 days, there's all my church just on Facebook the whole time. And here's all the emails that were going around, and here's people talking about the movies that they went to and all this stuff. And it was like, oh, wow, failure on every level. And in follow-up, talking to people, we did a sort of follow-up sermon afterwards, but just said, guys, honestly, if you could not give up Facebook for 30 days, that's like the definition of addiction at that point. Like, if you actually can't give up TV, if you actually couldn't put your phone aside. And, and there was one family in the church, and they had said, all right, we need our phones for work. And they had three kids who were in high school. They said, we want to know where our kids are, so we're going to have phones on during the day. But you know what? When we get home, like at 5 o'clock when we're home for dinner, everyone's phone, mom, dad, and kids' phone are all going in the drawer in the kitchen. And, and because we're not watching TV, we're going to play games, we're going to go for walks, we're going to go for bike rides, we're going to spend time together. And they were the only ones, other than my family, who stuck with it for the month. But the dad came to me after and said, that was life-changing for us. Like, to, one, just to realize how much these things were getting in the way of even our family dynamics, but two, to be able to say, oh, we don't need them. We might really like them, but we don't need them. And that is the heart of fasting, is when we say, you know what, I don't need anything but Jesus. Jesus is going to fulfill everything that I need. As Jesus responds in verse 41, Martha, Martha, and that's in there twice, uh, not for the sake of repetition, that's the gentleness of the Lord. That's just, hey, Martha, Martha, just, just, just take a breath. 
the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things. And that's, this is a truth that we know, but we forget all the time, is that the things that we lean on other than Jesus, the things that we depend on, the idols we create in our life, the things that we look to for fulfillment, the things that we look to to distract us or to, to deal with our stress or to numb our pain, anytime we look to created stuff, other than the creator to fulfill us, we know it doesn't work. It doesn't actually work. It can take the edge off for a little while. It can distract us for a little bit. It can give us a bit of a sense of well-being or a sense of purpose, but it's phony and it's fake and it doesn't last. And so no matter how much I lean on these crutches, they can temporarily for a moment help me get through the day, but it's not nearly as good as a moment in the presence of the Lord, or a moment in the Holy Word of God, or a moment in prayer with a brother in the Lord, or, or all of these godly things that he has put in our life to give us support and to give us encouragement and to give us purpose, to be in the Word, to walk with the Spirit, to be in the body, to find all of our purpose in him ultimately, and to be able to say, you know what, there is a godlier way for me to deal with my stress. There is a healthier way for me to deal with my pain. But when I am stressed out, again, my thing has always been food's there all the time, and it takes the edge off really quick. But it doesn't last, and then the stress is still there once that initial thing wears off. To be able to say, you know what, there's pain in my life, and rather than deal with my pain, it's really easy just to distract. I can just cover up the pain with lots of Netflix and binge watching and being on my phone, and I'll never deal with what's actually going on inside. And you can distract yourself. It does work, or else we wouldn't do it, but it doesn't solve the problem. Because eventually you got to turn the TV off, and then you're still just left with you and whatever's going on in there. So rather than saying, you know what, there is pain in here, I'm going to call it pain, I'm going to acknowledge the pain, I'm going to maybe go to someone else and help me work through the pain, I might go see a counselor to deal with the pain, rather than do these healthy, godly things we lean on, X, Y, and Z, and it's never going to do it for us. It's never going to work. So when we talk about living authentically, I'm not living authentically if I'm saying there's real stress or real pain or real insecurity and I'm gonna lean on these other things in order to, to prop me up and get me by. That's not authentic living. That's the false self at work. That's me saying, I just wanna maintain. I just wanna to keep going. I wanna be able to get through. But to be able to say, you know what? I'm gonna call my stress what it is. I'm gonna call my pain what it is. I'm gonna call my insecurity what it is. I'm gonna call all of these issues what they are and recognize where I'm leaning on things that are not Jesus in order to make me feel better. And then say, okay, now what's a better way? What's a godlier way for me to deal with these things so I actually can get healthy permanently. Because you know what I'm learning? As I go through life at times feeling stressed, as insecurities bubble up, there's this overwhelming sense in me that says, you know what? I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to carry this. Jesus has come to redeem me in every way. And so if I'm going to lean on created things in order to do this for me, the healing's never going to come. But when I say I'm going to lean on the creator who made me and want to live the way that he wants me to live, then we're talking a whole other story because then I'm able to actually be transformed by his word, by his spirit, as he does his work in me. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is needed. And it's funny because, again, like Mary and Martha, they know who Jesus is. 
and Jesus is there, and, and he's, the opportunity is there to learn from him. The opportunity is there to, to glean from his own mouth the truths that he has to share. And by the way, he's the miracle worker, right? Dinner would be no problem for him to snap his finger and say, bread for everybody, right? Like the preparation doesn't even actually need to happen. Nothing is needed, Jesus says. There's one thing that's needed. The one thing that's needed is him. And that's what Mary chose. And Jesus says, we're not messing with Mary's choice because she, she made the right one here. Dinner can wait. Dinner I could take care of. Dinner is not the focus here. Dinner is not where your attention should be. Only one thing is needed, and he is sitting right here in front of you. And the implication seems to be, Martha, put down the work and come have a seat. Come sit with your sister. Come learn from the master who wants to share these things with you. Only one thing is needed. And so where Martha had the same opportunity but was drawn away, was perius patoed away, distracted by the, the legitimate things, but distracted and drawn away by the things that needed to be done, Mary was not drawn away. Mary was right where she was supposed to be. Mary was connecting and communing with the Lord and learning from him. That's where she needed to be. And Jesus said, that's the only thing you need. Ultimately, it's the only thing you need. And that's not to say that we are not part of that for each other. Again, we've talked about this in the series. As a body, we help each other out. We encourage one another. It's not that literally uh, we don't lean on one another or, or look to one another for help and assistance as we struggle through life. But we're understanding that the way I help you is ultimately by getting you to Jesus and, and encouraging you towards Jesus and helping you connect with Jesus, that we are there to encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he's talking specifically about just the, the natural lure of money and things and possessions, but, uh, but to live in a godly way, to live rightly, and to be content there. And Paul talks about contentment from time to time. Content no matter the circumstances. Content no matter what I have or what I don't have. To live in a godly way and to be at peace with that, that's all you need. To be right with God and to walk with God and be at peace with wherever you're at, that's all you need in life. And that's a gift that comes as we sit at his feet, like Mary did, as we connect with him and receive the peace that comes from him. As we are in the word, as we are in prayer, as we are seeking the spirit, there is contentment available no matter what. Where our circumstances don't decide how happy or at peace we are, where we are happy or at peace no matter what our circumstances because of him and what he's doing in us. A couple of practical things just as we get ready to wrap up. Uh, we want to take an honest look in the mirror without excuse or qualifier. We've talked a lot about that in this series. There's lots of mirror looking in this series. Are you sick of it yet? <laughs> We're taking a look in the mirror in our sin and in our struggles and our insecurities, but to take an honest look, to take an honest look at that list of things, and again, without excuse, without that, you know, sort of old joke of like, I don't have a problem, I could quit whenever I want. I'm not addicted to my phone, I could shut off my phone anytime, no problem. It's like, no, without excuse. What has your time? What has your energy? What has your affection? And how does your time and energy and affection going to those things compare to the time and energy and affection that you're going, that's going into your walk with Jesus? Uh, so without excuse or without qualifier, be willing to fast regularly. And when we talk about fasting, we're just talking about giving something up for a season. So don't be the person who says, I'm not addicted to my phone or my Facebook. I can give it up whenever I want. Well, then do it, big mouth. Give it up. My last church will tell you it's not as easy as it sounds to give it up for 30 days. 
But there should be nothing that we cannot take a break from other than Jesus. There should be nothing in our lives. And again, we need to eat, we need to work. But to be able to say, these things that have a way of taking over, can I take a step back for two weeks or a week or, or four weeks, whatever you prayerfully decide. And again, not doing it just for the sake of doing it, but to say, like, these things in my life that have a tendency to be a problem, that have a tendency to take over, I'm going to take a break from them from time to time just to prove that I can. Just to say, you know what, I'm in charge of this thing. It's not in charge of me. My self-control is going to drive this thing. It's not going to drive me. And I just need to remind myself that Jesus is the center and not this thing that has a tendency to take over. On the things that we have to do, again, like food and work and exercise, we're just going to say, what are some healthy boundaries then? Right? So I got to eat, but what's healthy eating going to look like? I have to work. What's healthy work going to look like? If I'm working so much that I'm not picking up my Bible, that's not healthy in my spiritual walk. So what's a boundary then I can put in place maybe in terms of the hours that I'm working or the type of work that I'm doing? What are some healthy boundaries we can have on these things so that uh, for the things that are not bad in themselves, like serving or being busy, uh, how do I keep it in check so that it doesn't become an unhealthy thing? And then finally, we're not fasting these things just to fast them. We're not putting boundaries up just to have boundaries. Ultimately, all of it is so that we can draw near to God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Where there are things in life wanting to draw us away, we are wanting to draw near to him. And so if I am going to have a healthier approach to my phone, it's not just for the sake of the phone. It's to free up time so I can spend it in the Word or so I can spend it in prayer. It's to free up, you know, mental energy so that I'm not consumed with work all the time, but I have time and energy when I get home to open my Bible or spend time in prayer or go to a life group and spend time with other Christians. We're not just looking to get rid of things for the sake of it. We are looking to get rid of them so that we can draw near to God. And the promise is, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to you. It's not something we're doing entirely on our own. It's that as we take a step, he will take a step. And it can take some practice, and it can take some, some discipline uh, to form these good habits. But once they get formed, we carve out this place of connection and communion with him that's so important. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here today. We do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you want to keep this conversation going, we are more than happy to do that. If you want to follow up with anything on the message, we are happy to do that as well. As we reflect on these uh, inordinate attachments, and again, it, it's probably not that hard to see what yours are. Uh, what on this list has my time, has my attention, has my affection, has my energy? What on this list can and is getting in the way of my walk with Jesus? But to live authentically is to say, if I want to be who God called me to be, I'm not going to look to created things in order to give me anything that I ultimately need that I should be getting from him. I'm not going to look to the creation. I'm going to look to the creator who made us and has everything that we need. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, it goes on to say, so that we can run the race with perseverance, so that we can keep at this. So what does it look like in life to throw off everything that hinders? What is getting in the way that I can take a step back from, that I can get rid of, that I can lose, that I can fast, that I can set a boundary on? I want to throw off anything that's getting in the way of my walk with him so that the walk with him and my devotion to him and my worship of him can be central. It can be the most important thing. And in that spirit, we want to worship him again before we go. So I'll ask you to stand to your feet. We will close with worship and prayer in a couple of minutes. 
As we think through the things that keep us from following Jesus deeper, what are those things, as we talked about today? What are those things that are getting in the way from following Christ? The Bible says this, and this is when Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders, and they're asking him questions about the law, and this is what Jesus says to them. And they ask him the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the question for us is, how are we loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind? What are the things we're putting ahead of Jesus in those areas? And if the Holy Spirit has put something on your heart that is perhaps ahead of Jesus in your life, and you need to pray about that or receive some encouragement or some insight or discernment, we encourage you to come forward as well. There'll be people up front that can pray with you, that will sit with you and listen as well. Uh, they have lanyards on, they'll be available up front after service. And as people come forward to receive prayer, uh, we encourage you to visit with one another, but do that in the foyer and down the hallway. And if you've come here today and there's somebody here that you don't recognize and they're new to you, we encourage you to go say hi to them as well, just to, uh, just to make more friends and create a, a sense of community as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us wisdom and strength and guide us this week and help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And show us those things that hold us back from diving deeper into those areas. So Holy Spirit, come. And as people come forward to receive prayer, lead them and encourage them. And the folks that are praying with them as well, just give them a sense of discernment uh, through the Holy Spirit. So thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.